Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. Let's hear about this episode's topic. I have a question. I have four children and they have, through the years, had um, nightmares or night terrors. And I guess my question is, why are they having those? Is it a developmental stage for them and their brain development? And I guess my second question is, what is the best way to soothe my child when I go to um, calm them down? Okay, thank you. Wow. Nightmares and night terrors and comforting children. This is something that's really pretty common, huh? Yes. And it's so scary for the child and, of course, very concerning for the parent, too. Right, because their child is in distress. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about nightmares. Let's talk about night terrors, when and why they occur, and how parents can respond to them and also what can be done to prevent them. Definitely. But before we get to nightmares and night terrors, let's just talk about dreams. Okay, so last night I was riding this unicorn through a field through of rainbows. <laughs> Gee, not your specific dreams, Dr. Dean, but, but dreams in general. Although that does sound like a very vivid and interesting dream that you were having. <laughs> I'm sure somebody will tell us, analyze it and tell, tell me some deep, dark secret that I have. <laughs> but yeah, okay, we won't talk about my specific dreams. In general, people have about two hours of um, dreams every night. And sometimes the dreamer may wake up, which prompts them to remember the dream very well. And we generally think of negative dreams as nightmares. So we should define a nightmare. Okay, so that's a good idea because people have good dreams, they have indifferent dreams, sometimes they have bad dreams, and then the worst ones, right, are the nightmares. A nightmare is a disturbing dream that results in significant anxiety after becoming awake. And the anxiety is so bad that the child may have difficulty returning to sleep. Nightmares can occur at any age, but they're particularly distressing to young children who might not be able to distinguish the dreams from their reality. So why do nightmares occur? Do they serve a purpose? Are they useful in terms of development? Some think that they act as a mechanism to rehearse a perceived threat in your life. So we might be scared of something, and this is kind of a way to practice working it out. Yeah, that's one theory, to help develop the ability to appropriately respond to danger. Another is that we've been upset about something during the day, we've been stressed, and the nightmares are a way of replaying this event. Nightmares are pretty common. For children three to five years of age, about 10 to 50% experience occasional nightmares, and they're more common in girls than boys. And nightmares can be severe enough to disturb the sleep of the child and, as a result, the sleep of the parent. <laughs> right. And that can result in sleep deprivation all the way around. Mm -hmm. Some children with frequent nightmares find them so disturbing that they avoid going to sleep in an attempt to avoid experiencing a nightmare. So for these children, the nightmares are particularly distressing. This is a problem that can affect behavior, development, ability to learn, and even growth. Plus, it's stressful for the child, and it's stressful for the parents, for the whole family. 
Right. So let's talk about when nightmares happen. So that's easy. That happens when kids are asleep, right? But when during the sleep cycle? Okay, so that's during REM sleep. Right. REM, or rapid eye movement, is the period of sleep that occurs more during the second half of the night. Do nightmares come from a particular part of the brain? Yeah. They come from an area of the brain that's central for memory and processing emotional experiences. So a nightmare would definitely be one of these emotional experiences. These areas are active during REM sleep, and it includes the amygdala and the parahippocampal gyrus and the anterior cingulate gyrus. So all specific areas in the brain that are involved in memory and emotional processing. Nightmares are often caused by stress. Right. The stress may be a unique traumatic event, like maybe you had a thunderstorm or a hurricane. Maybe it may be like a car accident that you were in, or it can be an ongoing stress. So maybe your parents are fighting and not getting along. These are all things that could trigger nightmares. Other causes of nightmares include some medications, anxiety disorders, sleep apnea, and sleep deprivation. Right. And that's kind of ironic, isn't it? Since nightmares can result in lack of sleep and sleep deprivation. It just potentiates the whole thing over and over again. Yeah. I mean, it's really kind of unfair in a way. The nightmares themselves may cause more nightmares. Right. So you mentioned sleep apnea. And I think we should talk a little bit more about it because it may have pretty harmful effects if it's not identified. Right. So sleep apnea is disordered breathing during sleep. The children often snore, and this may also be associated with teeth grinding and bedwetting. It results in restless sleep and then sleep deprivation, resulting in negative consequences during the day, like sleepiness and behavior problems. If untreated, sleep apnea can also lead to a host of other complications like behavior, attention deficit disorder, learning and growth issues, and in severe cases, it can cause issues with the heart. So it's particularly important to diagnose and treat sleep apnea. Definitely. The good news is, with regards to nightmares, that over time they will become less common as a child ages. They're usually most common at 6 to 10 years of age, and then they start decreasing. Now let's talk about something that our caller also brought up, which is night terrors. Mm-hmm. So night terrors are sudden episodes of terror that occur during sleep. You will probably hear a loud scream coming from the child's bedroom. Ah! But mm-hmm. more blood curdling. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they will look like they are in intense fear. And the children look like they're having a fight-or-flight response with rapid heart rates and rapid breathing, and then they're sweating and flushing. Right. Obviously, as a parent, you hear that and you rush to the child. Sometimes they'll be sitting up. They'll be difficult to arouse. They're kind of still in that dream state. Um, And when you wake them up, they're confused. They may behave dangerously. Some people will get out of bed, um, potentially could harm themselves, but they'll usually have amnesia, meaning that they don't remember this the next morning. Night terrors may be triggered by sleep deprivation, sleep apnea, sedating medications, pain, or sometimes excessive arm or leg movements that disrupt sleep. That's like restless leg syndrome? Exactly, yeah. Night terrors are less frequent than nightmares, and they're most common in preschool children and less common in older children. 
Night terrors are really different from nightmares. They occur during slow-wave sleep, and this occurs during the first third of the night. And compare that with nightmares that occur during the latter half of sleep when REM sleep occurs. And children remember nightmares, but they don't usually remember night terrors the next morning. Children are awake after a nightmare, and they remember it, but they're asleep during a night terror, and they don't remember it when they're awake. In fact, they're dazed and confused when they wake up. Um, Night terrors often run in families, so there's likely a genetic component. And these episodes are really scary to watch and often very difficult emotionally for parents to see their child appear so fearful with nothing that they can do to comfort them. But the good news is that there's no harmful psychological effects from having night terrors. Some children with night terrors also have sleepwalking. Sleepwalking also occurs during slow-wave sleep, like night terrors do, and so this is the first third of the night. The children walk, with usually with their eyes open, but they appear confused or dazed. And they often have other associated inappropriate behaviors, such as urinating, but like not in the bathroom. <laughs> or going to the fridge and eating. I've seen that, too. Mm-hmm. The sleepwalkers are usually difficult to wake up, similar to night terrors. Although about one-third of children may sleepwalk once or twice, frequent sleepwalking is really unusual, and this occurs in less than 5% of children, most commonly around 4 to 8 years of age. And the most common trigger for sleepwalking is sleep deprivation, but again, fever, medications could be other causes. So what can parents do when they're concerned that their child is having nightmares or night terrors or sleepwalking, and this is really disrupting sleep so that their behavior is affected? Yeah, well, first, let's talk about what parents can do in that moment when the child first wakes up and they're upset because of the nightmare. They might be crying. They might be afraid. So go to your child quickly and let them know that they're safe. You're there for them. You will not any—you're not going to let anyone hurt hurt your child. Ask them what happened in the dream, what it was like, how it made them feel. And while doing this, remind them that dreams are not real now that they're awake, that this didn't actually happen, even though it felt like it was real at the time. And some people think that talking about the nightmare might end up amping the child up more. Mm -hmm. However, if you let them talk about their feelings, um, it usually will not escalate them. And it might actually help your child process this. Young children may not have the language skills to describe the nightmare in much detail because their language is still developing. In these cases, you can give them a hug and a kiss and, and really just comfort them and make them know that they're safe. Sometimes it's useful to turn on a low-level light or a nightlight if that will provide comfort to the child. And then once you've calmed them down, encourage them to go back to sleep. And if there's something else that's scaring them or bothering them, like shadows, make sure that they're gone. Right. Let's also talk about some strategies to prevent nightmares from occurring, and that's talking about sleep hygiene. So sleep hygiene, that's like taking a bath before bed or what? (laughs) No, that's just regular hygiene. Sleep hygiene is referring to maintaining a sleep environment and routines that foster regular and interrupted sleep patterns. Okay, that makes sense. So making sure that the bedroom is dark and quiet and following a routine sleep schedule. Right. So no scary or overstimulating books or movies and making sure you're minimizing screen time before bed. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes security blankets or objects such as a favorite stuffed animals. These can be useful as transitional objects as the parent leaves the room. 
Right. And some children, like you mentioned, might need a nightlight. Mm-hmm. And it's important to make sure that the child gets enough sleep. So that's 11 to 14 hours a night for toddlers, 10 to 13 hours for preschool children, and 9 to 11 hours for school-age children. That is important because many people are getting less than that. Absolutely, they are. Maintain a regular bedtime and wake-up time, and don't sleep too much on the weekends when that will make your routine get out of whack. Right. Exercising in the evening can facilitate sleep, and a warm shower or bath two hours before bedtime is a nice routine also. Also remembering not to drink or eat too close to bedtime. And if the nightmares persist, then talk with your pediatrician. They'll usually perform a physical exam. They may have some other suggestions about sleep hygiene. And then if the nightmares are severe, for example, occurring three or four times per week for a month, then they may refer to a specialist. Mm -hmm. And so this can be a developmental behavioral pediatrician or a child psychologist or a sleep specialist to look for sleep apnea by doing a sleep study. And they can help coach you to learn relaxation techniques and other strategies for minimizing nightmares and night terrors. Mm -hmm. You and your child, too, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's always training ourselves and our children. Right. Yeah, in pediatrics, it's never just about the kid. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, let's move on and talk about what parents can do about night terrors. Right. So these are disturbing for parents, usually scarier for the parent than for the person experiencing them. Mm Mm-hmm. So you want to stay calm. Right. Stay calm. Don't wake your child, but do stay by them and make sure that they don't harm themselves. And if they try to get out of bed, for example, to sleepwalk, gently restrain them to keep them safe. After a short amount of time, the child should relax and return to normal sleep. And what about for the long term? Can parents do anything to prevent or reduce night terrors? The child should just grow out of them as they get older. Usually this is with the onset of puberty when the slow-wave sleep starts to decrease. Mm -hmm. So parents may choose to wake their children 15 to 30 minutes before the time of the expected episodes. And if this is done for a few weeks, sometimes the episodes go away. It can extinguish them. If they come back, they can always try this again. Yeah. Or there can be other options like medications, but of course you always want to talk to a provider before initiating these. Right. So parents will learn about night terrors and hopefully the knowledge will reassure them, but sometimes it's not so clear what's going on with the night terrors. So in this case, again, talk to your pediatrician. They can look for underlying medical reasons, stressors in the life that are exacerbating some of these sleep problems. And if it's not clear, then we always want to look for things like obstructive sleep apnea um, and making sure that we're not getting this confused with other things that could potentially look like a night terror, like a seizure or something like that. Although these are uncommon, it's not something we would want to miss. Right. So you might get a referral to a sleep specialist for specialized sleep studies or maybe a neurologist or a psychologist, depending on the underlying suspected condition. And a referral to a specialist is also considered if night terrors are occurring one to two times per week or lasting more than 15 to 20 minutes for a month. You want to make sure that all babysitters or parents of friends where your child might be sleeping over are aware of this so that they don't freak out and that they can respond appropriately if it should occur. Right, because not all parents are experienced with this. Let's talk about what parents can do if their child is sleepwalking. Right. The most important thing, of course, is going to be making sure that the child doesn't hurt themselves. 
So make sure that the child does not sleep near the stairs, for example, to decrease the danger of falling down the stairs. And avoid bunk beds. Um, make sure the bedroom windows are closed and locked. And it's best not to have sharp objects in the room. Usually, it's always good not to have sharp ob- <laughs> yeah, objects right. in the room, but especially mm-hmm. if you've got a sleepwalker on your hands. Mm-hmm. Some parents, it's so bad that they actually have an alarm on the child's door so that it can alert them that the child is walking. Um, so that's one a potential option. Although sleepwalking may be very disturbing, the good news is that there's no effect on development or the future well-being of the child. Right. So just work to maintain good sleep hygiene and wait for them to grow out of it when puberty comes because they usually will grow out of it. If the child's sleepwalking becomes dangerous, then talk to your pediatrician. They may prescribe medication for a few months or refer to a specialist. And this will be especially important if the sleepwalking is frequent. So it's occurring one to two times per week or the episodes are lasting 15 to 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. There's one more thing that parents can do if their child experiences any of these sleep disturbances. And what's that? To keep a sleep diary. And how will keeping a diary help? Is this like journaling so the parent gets in touch with their thoughts and feelings, like a mindfulness thing? (laughs) No, it's a sleep diary to keep track of how often these things are happening, what the child is doing, what time of the night it's usually happening, if there's been any associated life stressors or changes, all of those things so you can really keep track of the problem. I get it. So that makes sense. So they record like where the child's sleeping, what they need to go to sleep, what, like do they need a toy or blanket, how long it takes for them to fall asleep. All of those things, as well as what the parent did to comfort them, were they able to get them back to sleep. And then the parent may be able to correlate this with naps, um, how many um, stresses in the home, any kind of changes in routine and try to figure out what's causing this. Right. And so really it can give you enlighten you on some patterns that may be worsening nightmares or night terrors and help you decrease the frequency. Right. And the parent might not be able to see this. It might not be so obvious to them, but in that case they can share the diary when they see their pediatrician or if they're referred to a specialist and they might find it useful. Definitely. So I think we had a great discussion today on nightmares, night terrors, sleepwalking, super common in kids. Luckily, it decreases over time. But let's summarize some of the main issues with sleep disturbances. So most children experience nightmares and night terrors and sleepwalking are not uncommon. Nightmares typically occur in the second half of sleep, the last half of sleep, while night terrors more commonly occur in the first third of the night. Nightmares may be scary for children, especially children too young to differentiate their dreams from reality. As a parent, you can comfort your child when they wake up from a scary dream. Night terrors, on the other hand, are usually not remembered by children, but they may be scary for the parents. And parents can protect their children from harming themselves during these night terrors. There are several possible causes of sleep disorders. So working on sleep hygiene will reduce the frequency of nightmares and night terrors. And if you're concerned that these are too frequent, too disturbing, or resulting in sleep deprivation, then talk with your pediatrician. They may do some tests or recommend you see a specialist. And remember, sleep problems are common. Most children grow out of them. And if they are severe, then your doctor can help. 
And then we can all get a good night's sleep. Right. Well, I'd like to thank my neighbor, Violet, who suggested this episode topic, and also Dr. Kieran Nandaliki. Um, she is a pediatric pulmonologist and sleep medicine specialist at UC Davis Children's Hospital, and Dr. Tom Anders, a child psychiatrist and specialist in pediatric sleep disorders at Brown University, for reviewing this episode, although Dr. Lena and I take full responsibility for any errors or misinformation. And that reminds me of a joke. <laughs> I am uh, waiting anxiously to hear the sleep joke. What is a dentist's worst nightmare? Hmm, what? A lion that eats candy. What? Because then the lion's going to get cavities. Oh, and then the that's dentist... not a good one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there could be some good ones for this. Oh, that's funny. There probably are, but I didn't find them. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you have a lot of nightmares or night terrors growing up? Um, I don't remember that, and I don't remember anybody in my—I don't remember my sisters having, like, bad nightmares or night terrors or sleepwalking. You know, when I first heard of night terrors, I mean, they really sound terrifying to observe as a parent. How about you? Not really. I've never had many nightmares or night terrors myself, but my husband's family has night terrors. And when you say it's genetic, it does seem to go in the family. So his sister is the worst. And she, I mean, she's a, an adult now mm -hmm. and doesn't have them as frequently, but will every once in a while still have them. Really? Um, and her worst one was they were my husband lived in Saudi Arabia, and after 9-11, they had to come back mm -hmm. um, to the United States. And they were on a flight, and his sister had one on the flight. Oh, my gosh. I can't Where she was imagine. screaming. And so, like, his mom was, like, trying to quiet her down, and everybody's looking around on the plane. But that's their, their favorite night terror story, um, where everybody was already, like, anxious and on edge. And then this, like, you know, I think she was... Pretty young at the time. She must have been like seven, was having a full-blown night terror oh on a plane. Oh, my gosh. And then her sleep was disrupted because it's like crossing time zones and a really long flight and all that. Yeah, so. it's just like ripe for that happening. But So your husband, has he, he's grown out of it? He has, although he still has some mild night terrors every once in a while where he will be screaming. Uh -huh. um, but... You know, nothing bad like walking or doing other things, but they it definitely has run in their family. And so they, his mom has had to get used to dealing with all of her kids' um, nightmares or night terrors. What's it like for you when your husband has a night terror? I actually find it quite funny. Really? At this point. <laughs> really? Um, because I don't know. It's just not, he doesn't, it just doesn't seem very distressing to him and he doesn't remember them either. So mm -hmm. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. Well, you're reassured because you're, you're educated on the subject. Yeah, definitely. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. 
Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. Thank you.